0: Well, last week we started a a new series called, Are You Growing? And if you remember last week, just to kind of reset us up where we're at, as I said, um, I've had several discussions over the last few months with folks who ask a question, and it kind of comes down to, of how do I walk in Christ? How do I grow in Christ? And sometimes the discussion starts off with, maybe my marriage is having a challenge, or I'm having a parenting challenge, or I'm just trying to walk through life and I've been stressed out. But at the core of it, it comes down to is a connection or a walk with Christ that maybe is struggling or that's challenged or that needs to or wants to go deeper. And so what happens many times in those kind of discussions, and I'll spend maybe it's a few sessions or a few times or, or sometimes it's multiple. We get together and I literally have my, my, my binder here and I just open up to a yellow pad of paper. And we sit down around a table, sometimes that table's over at Wendy's, or sometimes it's at a coffee shop, sometimes it's, it's here at church, and, and sometimes it's in someone's own dining room, where we just sit down, we get around a table, bust out a piece of paper, get out our Bibles, and we just start kind of talking and trying to understand some things about how the Lord has put us together, and how the Lord has plans for us, and how He wants us to work and to operate. And so we spend some time just really trying to look at, look at life together. And so if I could, I'd have a dining room table that's a big old table in the middle of this room and we'd all gather around the dining room table and put all our, our bottle of water or our cup of coffee and we'd sit down and just talk. Well, I don't have a table that big, so I just brought this little tiny one. Just for us to be able to sit around, so to speak, and just get a chance to, to talk. Let me review with you last week some things we went over uh, just talking about the goal of life. Many times, I think we run into challenges of life, struggles of life, because our goals get out of line. And Jesus gave us the goal in Mark chapter 12, when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He puts in there three goals. For me, that's my goal for my children. I mean, they're going to be a doctor. If they don't love God, then... I've missed out. I feel like that I didn't do my job as a parent. They're going to be a, a school teacher, it could be a great career. But if they don't love God and love their neighbor and love themselves, I missed out. I I didn't do my job as a as a parent. They're going to go and be a plumber. They don't love God and love neighbor love self, I missed out and didn't do my job as a parent. So for me, I look at it and say that's the goal that all of us should be pursuing is we want to love God, love our neighbor, love ourself. Now, that third one, love self, some people went, now, Brian, I don't know about that one. I had a few conversations this week where they're like, okay, I get the idea. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor. I understand you love people, then as yourself. But wait a minute, Brian, that really sounds awful self-centered. And it can be if that love is a love that is focused on self that is focused by the way the world teaches and so as you dive deeper in that, love your neighbor as yourself, really what it's talking about is loving yourself, understanding who you are in Christ, understanding that you are forgiven in Christ, understanding that his blood has covered over all your sins, that Christ is the one who gives you all of your strength, understanding who you are in Christ. And so when we come to know who we are in Christ and we love ourselves in Christ and who Christ is and what Christ has done for us, it's not a, a self-love saying, hmm, look at me. It's not a self-love saying, look, at I've climbed the corporate ladder. It's not a self-love saying, look, at, I've been so successful in this or so successful in that, and because I've done that. Look, at it's not an arrogant self-love. It's a humble self-love that says, I am who I am because who I am in Christ. And when you can accept yourself with who you are and where you're at in life because of who you are in Christ, then you're going to do a better job at loving your neighbor and probably even do a better job at loving God. And so at the core, those are goals that we need to keep as the top goal of life. When we get that out of line, everything kind of gets messed up. Now, the challenge with that is life happens. We talked about this last week that there's all kinds of things in life, and I asked both services, first service and second service, to share some information of stressors or things in life that, that we would have to deal with. Money. All of us have to deal with that every single day, Right? I mean, every day, how's my, maybe it's investment. Did my paycheck come in? What am I going to do with the paycheck? i got to pay this bill. i got to pay that bill. i got to deal with this. got to deal with this. Stress, debt, of money. It, that will just overwhelm us. Raising kids. For a lot in this church, raising kids is a big avenue. We have a ton of kids around this place. Have you noticed that? Lots of them. I mean, they're in the preschool, and they're in the early childhood, in their elementary area. Uh, our junior high and high school ministry is just—all these kids have been growing up, and now they're starting to bring their friends. Last week, there was 38 kids at our student ministry on Sunday night. I mean, I was like, I walked in here, I was like, oh my goodness, there's like ants run all over this building. And then yesterday, 20 of them, 20 high schoolers went to Laurel Lake, and I got a chance to go hang with them. There's a bunch of young kids. That means there's a bunch of us parents dealing with how do I raise them. And let's be honest, now there's not a lot of them in here. First service, I couldn't say this so strongly. Cause they were all sitting right up here but parents it is hard work is it not It is a challenge to raise our children, and especially a challenge to raise our children in the Lord and all the stuff that this culture is throwing at us. And we as parents feel that tug-of-war. I want to teach them about Jesus. They got all this stuff going on in all the world and things being offered. It's a constant back and forth tug-of-war struggle. And moms and dads, I'm right there with you because I have three teenagers where I'm fighting right in that. And that can be a major stress in our lives. You look at other issues like health. Maybe it's your own health. You've had some challenges. You've been to doctors. You've been getting tests done. You're, you're doing that. Maybe it's a parent's health. Maybe something like that where you're like, man, what's the next health news? What's the, what's the struggle? What's the challenge there? Maybe it's a job situation. And you know in our culture the last few years, boy, the, the job market in our society has been up and down, and today still pay is not where it used to be, and people are still struggling. Is my job enough? And so that creates a lot of stress. Social issues. Last week, I think it was second service, someone used the word hate. They said, just dealing with the hate in our society today. I thought, man, that's a good point. There's a lot of hate which raises social issues, and there's other kind of social challenges. Sometimes it's dealing with older parents. How do I help my older parents? What am I supposed to do? How do I do that when I still have my family to take care of? So all these things, and you could add other things to the wheel, but I propose to you, church, that these things are going to continue until the day we die. Until the day we go home to heaven, we're going to be dealing with these things of life, and I call that the wheel of life. It keeps rolling on and on and on, and so the question we have to answer is who's going to be in the center of life? How are you going to manage it? We have one choice. It's ourselves, me, myself, and I. We can manage life by what I learned growing up, by what my mom taught me, what my dad taught me, what grandma taught me, by a magazine I read, by a television show I've watched, by some blog that I've read, or just what I think and feel inside. We can manage life that way. Or we can manage the life by listening to the Holy Spirit. And if you're a Christian, you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14 tells us that He will counsel us, that He's our advocate, that He is our teacher, and that He wants to teach us all things. All things, not just some things. He wants to teach you how to be a man, how to be a woman of God. He wants to teach you how to be a husband, how to be a wife. Teach you how to be a mom, how to be a dad. Teach you how to be a good employee. Teach you how to be a friend. Teach you how to be patient with the waiter or the waitress that's maybe not fast enough for you teach you how to be kind to people, teach you how to live in life. And so my proposal, church, is that when we are walking through life and we're keeping our goal, love God, love your neighbor, and love yourself, when that's the goal and Satan says, I have all these other things to throw at you, and then sometimes life just throws things at you, in order to do that, at the hub, at the center of life, has got to be our walk with the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is available to every single one of us to receive Christ and have the Holy Spirit around center point. We call it connect center change. Our driving force as a church is to connect people with God, help people center their lives on Christ, which will experience change. See, there's a number of people in our society today who see no need for God see no need for connection to God. There's a lot of people who are just kind of, they're known and labeled as the nuns. I don't have a need for church, I don't have a need for religion, I'm just kind of going through life. There's a lot of people like that today. There are a lot of people who are transient, moving into our society, moving in. In the last three Sundays, I've met someone here who, it's been their first Sunday, like, yeah, I just moved here within the last month. And we want to connect with people who are new around here and saying, hey, we want to help you know God, help you walk with God, make that connection. And some, because they move from one city come to another, like, I need a church. We want to help people connect with God wherever they're at in a journey of life. For some folks, it's I at one time had a connection with God and I've wandered away. Life's got me distracted and people are making their path back into church and getting reconnected. And we as a church want to help connect and then teach. How do we make Jesus at the center of life? Well, we do that by learning how to walk with the Holy Spirit. When we do that, change happens. What I've learned through life is You can tell people all you want to stop doing, and you fill in the blank. Stop doing this, stop doing that, stop doing this, stop doing that. It doesn't do any good. Our job as a church is to introduce people to Jesus. That's our job. Let people lead them to know Jesus. Help them to get to understand who Jesus is, and then Jesus will do their work when he's the center of life. Did I just do something weird, Billy? What happened? told him if this happens I'm just calling you because I start clicking and we'll lose it all do I just got to power on that uh, yeah is that right sorry right an important part of the message technology you see what it does that's our job our job is to introduce people to Jesus. And as people get to know Jesus and learn how to walk in Jesus, understand who Jesus is, then Jesus will guide them with things. You know, maybe this shouldn't be part of your life. Maybe this should be a little bit different in your life. Maybe you need to adjust this. But if we just try to tell people, stop doing this, there's no way to do that because we're just trying to try and keep a list of if I'm good or if I'm bad. And so we want to introduce people to Jesus and let the Holy Spirit do that work inside of them and work through them. As the Holy Spirit does that work, we'll make adjustments. You know, one of the worst things to do, as a spouse is to go and tell my wife brandon you know you said you did and she says oh really the better thing is to do to pray god would you tell her what she did said and what she did and she's learned through the years you know it's true with me too because when she comes and says brian you were or you did this you said that usually an argument occurs because in our flesh that rises up and i get very stubborn or she gets very stubborn and arguments start to happen And so it's a whole lot better for the Spirit of God to work inside of us and show us that. um, Is it going to work? Okay. Well, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 brings us to the key point I want to talk to you about today. Last week I showed you a triangle and The triangle has three avenues that I see that if we want God, we want Christ to be at the center of life that we need to be doing. The three avenues. One is worship. We talked about that last week is that this gathering that we do on a Sunday, worship, is highly important. And Scripture even tells us in Hebrews 10, do not neglect the gathering together with other saints, but let us find ways to encourage one another, to inspire one another, to lift one another up. And so this gathering on a Sunday is highly important. In today's culture, a lot of people set this aside, and it's just one choice of many other things. Church, I commend you for being here today. Because a lot of people, they'll choose, well, today I've got this going on, or I've got that going on, I've just decided not to go. God does something when you decide to show up and you decide to be here. And so in being here, God does His work. And this next point that we want to look at, Acts chapter 2, is what was established in the early church. Established in early church, Acts chapter 2, is after Jesus had already died and had risen from the grave, had ascended back to heaven, and the disciples had received the instruction, the disciples had received... Um, instruction to go on now and preach and to teach and take the message to the entire world. And so this is Peter's first sermon. The Holy Spirit comes, gives an the ability to speak in several different languages. disciples are, are teaching and preaching. And Acts chapter 2 is the first sermon. And I love this sermon because Peter is so bold. Peter is extremely bold. And Peter's the one, you know, he's the one who pulled the sword out and chopped off the ear. And, and Jesus is like, whoa, relax, Peter. We don't need to be that aggressive. But he's very aggressive in the preaching right here in Acts chapter 2, and here's what he says. Verse 14, Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And so he's talking, it says, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem. So there's a Jewish culture, and others would be in there, and they may be... Some of faith, some of no faith, but a a large Jewish culture. Jump down to verse 22. He says, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. I mean, Peter just lays it out. Peter's like, you guys did this. I mean, could you imagine... I mean, Peter had that kind of boldness, but they very well could have said, oh yeah, you want to be stoned too, just like Stephen? You want to go to the cross just like Jesus? And they could have at that moment stopped the message, grabbed him from his his, uh, stoop he's speaking on, pulled him down, took him out the street, and they could have stoned him and beat him and killed him and said, we're not going to put up with this. Peter had the Holy Spirit live inside him, had enough boldness to say, you guys did this, you've been on the cross, but God raised him from the dead. And he goes on, verse 29, brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried in his tomb is here to this day, but he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. So he ties back to David, Jewish history, and says, listen, that David is a prophet, that David was a great king, you guys are familiar with him, but listen, he's still in the ground. And he goes on and says, seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised his Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. And he goes on and basically tells him, listen, that David who you guys hold is in high esteem, he's in the ground, but Jesus is risen from the grave. Jesus is the only one who ever defeated the grave. And he's he's making the comparison to somebody who they lifted up in David, and saying, "No, look at Jesus. Yes, he was killed. Yes, he hung on a cross. Yes, he was put in a tomb. But he defeated death, came back, and he rose again." Verse thirty six, he says, "Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this: God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, again pointing the finger at it, you, did it remember, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, both Lord, which he's the master that means, and Christ, he's the Savior, and that's what God did." And it's really interesting because then in verse 37 it says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. That means convicted. That means they saw that, you know what, we've been wrong. Forget it, Billy. On, get us... Billy, save me. I don't know why it's doing that. So they, um, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted of their sin. They, they knew that what was going on and what they did was wrong. And so now they're saying, listen. What do we do? Because that's what they asked. We're cut to the heart. Peter said to the apostles, and they asked, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied and said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter tells them, repent. What does that mean? Admit you've been wrong. Repent. Turn from the way you've been living. And he says, and be baptized. Let me just say right here to you, some of you may need to do that today. Some of you need to repent, possibly. Some of you need to submit your life to God, repent and be baptized, giving your life to Jesus Christ. And that's why we practice water baptism here. And you don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of you until you've given your life to Christ. And Peter very clearly said, when you're ready, this is what you do. It's really cool because it goes on, and it says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and all who are far off, from whom the Lord God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to that number. 3,000 people on that day gave their life to Christ. I'd love to be there in that scene. I'd love to be there when that many people come to Jesus Christ. But then the question you have to ask is, you have all these brand new Christians. What do you do with them? Yeah, we hear the message, we repent, we get baptized. Okay, now go on your way. You can't do that. that would be like having a brand new baby. Oh, look, It brought the baby home. Set the baby in a crib. Good luck. Hope you make it. No, you've got to feed that baby and care for that baby and change that baby's diaper. And so the disciples are smart enough because the Holy Spirit guided them. What do they do? They devoted themselves. Verse 42. To the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So they got together and spent time in the Word and they fellowshiped and they broke bread and they prayed together and they met in the temple courts and they got together in homes. Look at verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. In other words, they went to the place of worship. How about we start doing that? Every day we'll have worship service here. Wouldn't that be something? Every day they got together. Every day they spent time together. That tells me that they knew the community was important. They knew that getting together and spending time together, we're new in the faith, we've got to get together. And then it says they broke bread. In other words, they had meals together in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. In their homes, they got together. And so we follow this precedence of getting together and try to create in our culture opportunities for us to get together and to spend time together. Because we know that as we spend time together, we encourage one another, we strengthen one another in our journey with Christ. Look at your cards on your chairs. They look like this. The card on your chair says growth groups. This is how we do this around Centerpoint. Last week we talked about the need of getting together here. So this is one avenue to get together. And we do this weekly. Another avenue of getting together is what we call growth groups. And that's found the example that you see in Acts chapter 2 where they got together to study the word, be in fellowship, be in prayer, eat together. We do that in growth groups. On the back of that card is listed the groups for this semester, for this season, from now to the end of the year. And we encourage you to get involved in a growth group. What happens is on a Sunday, starting the first Sunday in September, when we start a new series in the book of James, you'll have on your chairs a growth guide, a spot where you can take some notes for the message. You'll open it up into that, and there's going to be some questions for personal reflection and study, some scripture to look at. Our encouragement, you do that on your own, some in your own quiet time, your own Bible study time, and then you take that with you to your growth group, where then your growth group will discuss that. So we try to have one topic that we're focused on as a church. We do that on Sunday when I'm preaching about it. You do it by taking notes, and you do it by discussing. You say, why do you do that? Because we do that because I know that you will forget 95% of what I say this morning. (laughs) Did you have to agree, Nick? Nick? Which can be very discouraging to preachers when we work on a message and go, they're going to forget 95% of it. Truth be told, I forget about 90% of what I said. I hate it. It's Wednesday and someone said, what would you preach on Sunday? Hold on a minute. What do I think? What do I preach on Sunday? But I know that if you will take some notes during the message... I know if you'll go home and engage with the topic a little bit and do it on your own, I know that if you go into a growth group and you study it together and you talk about it and learn some other angles about that topic, there's a higher percentage of you than putting into practice what we're talking about. And we are not supposed to just be hearers of the Word, we're supposed to be doers of the Word. This week I was at a meeting with uh, several ministers planning for ICOM that is coming in November, the International Conference on Missions to Rup Arena that our church is going to be part of. We've been promoting around here. And the president of ICOM was there and he stood up and he said, listen, I've shared thousands of sermons and I've heard thousands of sermons. He said, people don't need any more sermons. What we need is obedience. I thought, wow, that just kind of smacked me between the eyes even as a preacher. And so that's why we do that. We want to drive home obedience, or putting into practice what you're hearing. So if I just stand up and preach, you all go home and you say, man, that message was terrible, or you go home that message was good, or you go home and say, I don't know if I got out of it, or did you get out of it? And then and this, maybe that's it. And so in our growth groups, when you get together, then you start sharing life together, and as you start sharing life together, you start talking together. Right now, this right now, you're sitting in rows, you're looking at the back of people's heads. Look straight forward, I mean, what do you see? For some of you, you, see brown hair. For some of you, you see no hair. For some of you, you, see colored hair. For some of you, you see gray hair. For, I mean, a mix of things. But you're not going to grow at the level God wants you to grow by staring at the back of people's heads. We grow when we get together in circles. And we sit together face to face. And we start sharing life. Chances are you've come in this place today and maybe you're carrying a challenge or a burden. And, and that's on you. And you may walk out of here today carrying that burden. You take a burden like that to a small group, to a growth group, and you sit down and say, I just need you guys' help. I need to talk to you. I'm dealing with this at work. And all of a sudden, your growth group starts speaking into your life about how to maybe handle that or manage that in a God-focused way. Or I need your help because I'm dealing with this financially, and you start talking about that. Or maybe the topic of that day is you sharing, you discuss. It lifts you up, and you come alongside one another. I think that's why the early church understood that. Listen, 3,000 people come to Christ. They couldn't all get together and just start sharing life. And so they got together in smaller homes where they eat together and pray together and study God's Word together and walk alongside of each other. One of the hard things as a preacher is when I hear that someone's left the church, so and so's moved on down the road to wherever. And a lot of times I stop and I wonder, okay, were they part of a group? And many times they're not. See, if you're coming to church here and you say, well, my church, I just come here on Sunday and I go home, the best way for us to minister together, minister one another, is for you to be involved in a group. Because when you're walking through life, that group ministers to you. When you've been in a hospital, and we do this, you've been in a hospital and you come home and you're like, boy, it'd be helpful to have someone to help do a little cleaning or mow my grass or, or bring me a meal or two or three or sometimes it's been three months and a group says, we need help. And they bring it to the larger church and says, they've had surgery, how can we help them out? That happens in groups. And we don't want to miss anybody's need. We don't want to miss making that connection with you. I don't know, Billy. i got to have it, though, for my final part. Um, We don't want to miss that connection. And that connection in Jesus happens in groups. I think that's what the early church understood. The early church knew how important that was, that we have to walk alongside with each other. In his book, The Connecting Church, author Randy Frazee writes these words. He says the experience of authentic community is one of the purposes God intends to be fulfilled by the church. The writings of Scripture lead one to conclude that God intends the church not only be, not only to be one more bolt on the wheel of activity our lives, but to be the very hub at the center of one's life. The very hub, the biblical community that got together together and pray together and study God's word together and support one another encourage one another that very hub in leadership magazine Carl Connor writes about the dangers of standing alone he said a few runners ago heavy snows hit north carolina Following a wet six-inch snowfall, it was interesting to see the effect along I-40. Next to the highway stood several large groves of tall, young pine trees. The branches were bowed down with heavy snow, so low that branches from one tree were often leaning against the trunk or branches of another. Where trees stood alone, however, the effect of the snow was different. The branches... Had become heavier and heavier since there was no other trees to lean against. The branches snapped. They lay underground the ground, dark and low in the cold snow. When the storms of life hit, we need to be standing close to other Christians. We need each other. We can't stand alone. You get the picture. These pine trees get heavy and they start leaning upon one another till the snow melts off and all of a sudden the strength comes back. When it's by itself, it breaks and it falls apart. We're like that. That's what the church is supposed to be. We're there to lean upon one another, to help one another, to encourage one another, to help people walk through the challenges and the journey of life. I love this picture. Anybody know what that is a picture of? Anybody know? Shout it out. You are smart. That's good. That's trees. What kind of trees? No. Huh? Redwood forest. Forest. That's a picture of the Redwood Forest. It has some of the strongest, tallest trees that you've ever imagined. Some are 300 feet high and over 2,500 years old. And they're, they're extremely... High. I mean, you've probably seen this kind of picture before, where some of them are so big that they actually cut out a tunnel where people drive their cars through the Redwood Forest trees. And they're that tall, and they're that that big. And the interesting thing is you would think that their root system goes extremely deep. I would think their root system goes to the core of earth, so those trees that are 300 feet tall would never th- fall over. But the truth is, is their root system is very shallow and has a very interlocking root system. And one tree to another tree locks like this with their root system, and another one then comes in like this. And so all these trees, as their roots spread out, get entangled and entwined together. So then when a storm comes and a rain comes, those trees don't fall over. If the tree is off by itself and its roots are really shallow, the storms will knock it over. a matter of fact, the trees won't grow that big because they will fall down before they have a chance to grow. You and I need each other in the church because we need our root system of life, our spiritual root system to connect because where I'm weak, you might be strong. And where I'm strong, you might be weak, but when we get in relationship and we spend time together studying God's Word, fellowshiping together, praying together, doing what the Scriptures taught the early church did, then we strengthen one another. And then when we walk through the journeys of life and when the storms come, instead of falling over, we have somebody to lean upon and say, help me. We have somebody to lean upon and say, I need you to walk with me in this journey. And that's why we're so strong about pushing, get involved with some other Christians, get involved with groups. We are interlocking root system. Go back with me and look at this triangle right here again. Last week I really emphasized the idea of worship. I commend you for being here this morning. Pat you on the back, give you a high five. Because you're doing exactly what the Scripture tells us to do when it says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. You have lived out the Scripture today by not neglecting to be here today. Remember, our growth with God is like a three-legged stool. Yes, there's other avenues to grow in God, but I find we don't do these three. We start missing out, and then when we miss out, then we get weak. It's like a three-legged stool. Worship is a high priority. You've accomplished that. Number two is groups. So that's why we have the cards out. There's a sign-up table out in the lobby. And I said this first service, and some of the group leaders were like, oh, you know, in the early church, they met in these little tiny homes. I mean, they had the original tiny house, so to speak. They would have been like maybe 10 by 10, 12 by 12, maybe a 15 by 15. But they just had a square room, a bed in a corner maybe, something to sleep on, maybe something to have a little flame so they could boil some water. And then they would meet together. If you ever been to Mexico on a mission trip? And all of a sudden you go and you see one, one wall is boarded up with just wood and one has a sheet metal and, and they would squeeze in 15 or 20 people sometimes and they would gather and the kids would be with them and they would worship God and share life together. Why can't we do that today? Our homes are so much bigger and nicer. And so I kind of said this first service, I said, our small group list, we're just let them fill up. And if they fill up more and more and if also a group has 18 or 20 or 25 people, we're going to figure out and someone goes, oh, my house can't do that, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. And so we'll just keep adding on. So you find the day and the time that best works. And if for some reason there's a day and a time, you're like, man, that just doesn't work. And you're like, I want to start one. Then come talk to me and say, Brian, my day is not on there and I can do it. And I imagine some other people, will throw your name up there and we'll, we'll make an opportunity for another group to get started. But we need each other. And we need to follow the example of Scripture and be obedient to Scripture teaches. Worship in groups and next week we're going to jump into one more, and that's the idea of service. As you do these things, you'll see I have a growing relationship with God, with Christ at the center, directing me how to live life. And you'll experience change. Bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for the opportunity to worship. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. And Lord, I pray that as we cover these these three topics, talking about worship and talking about groups, the next week, Lord, to cover service, Lord, would you help us to evaluate by the power of your Spirit, how are we doing with these areas? Are we keeping them priority? Are, are they top-notch priorities in our lives, Lord, uh, above other things that we get involved with, other um, opportunities that can get in the way that, that don't last? Lord, we know what lasts, and that's our walk with you. We know what lasts, and that's issues of eternity. And so, Lord, help us to to evaluate with a God-centered view. And then, Lord, help us to be obedient to where you're leading us and where you're guiding us. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.